0: So we're going through, uh, my name's Mark, I'm one of the pastors here. We're going through Luke. It's a book in the Bible, one of the four Gospels. Um, one of the four Gospels just means that there were these four guys, John, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who followed Jesus and then wrote a record of the things that Jesus said and did while He was alive. And those are called Gospels um, or narratives uh, of what Jesus is, has, has done. And we re- we're going through Luke and... Um, Today we happen to be, uh, just by planning, um, we happen to be in this passage, which uh, doesn't sound, repent or perish, that sounds, Jib said, do you want me to, at the end of the Bible reading, say, unfortunately? Uh, In in other words, it's difficult things to hear yet, but if we can just pay attention, let's trust Jesus, let's hear what He's saying, we can find that even the difficult things, there's a reason for them and there's goodness behind them. Um, So let me pray, and then we'll get into it. Father God, thank you that we can be here today, together, face-to-face. For those who are on Zoom, Lord, uh, we thank you that we can be together with them as well. Thank you that all around the world today, people are going to hear what Jesus has done for us in time and space. We thank you that people are going to hear how much you love us, God. Father, all around the world, there's been all sorts of messages about you but rarely is it the message of your grace and your love and your mercy and your kindness. We pray today people would hear that and they'd discover how wonderful you are to us and the good news of Jesus. Please help us this morning to have a wonderful time of fellowship and to see how there's goodness in a passage that says, repent or perish. In your precious and wonderful name. Amen. Um, as Malcolm says, you know, not everything's beer and Skittles. And when Jesus says repent or perish, I don't want to lie, it's not all beers and Skittles. There is goodness behind it, but there's also a danger in it. And so we're just going to see what he says. We have this um, strange and confused view of suffering. If someone, um, sometimes if someone bad, in our view, suffers, we think, oh, that's, they got what they deserve. They had that coming, right? You, maybe you don't say that, but maybe you feel that. Has there ever been any bit of you that was uh, a little bit happy when someone uh, who you deemed bad suffered a little bit? No? Am I the only one? All right. Well, I'll preach to myself this morning. And then when someone good suffers, we get confused. Um, they're a good person. How come they're suffering? They don't deserve this. And, and we feel that it's unfair. If we, if, we're, um, if we believe that there is a God, then we'd say, how can a good God allow suffering? If we don't believe there's a God, we just don't understand uh, suffering. How come bad things happen to good people? Um, when these passages are brought to Jesus, the, these, uh, this group brings this first thing, oh, were the Galileans, um, were there, was their blood mixed with their sacrifices? The Gal- Galileans were coming to sacrifice to God, and the, uh, the Romans got a hold of them and uh, slaughtered some of them. And the Pharisees are trying to take an arrogant point of view to go, oh, there was something, God was standing against the Galileans, that's why they suffered, hey. Um, and Jesus goes, uh, he brings up a natural one, something, a, a, a tower fell on, a, a damn wall fell on 18 people and killed them. It's just a natural disaster. And Jesus says, Jesus is making this point. Uh, whether it's by the hand of man or whether it's by natural disaster, don't assume that it's God who's behind it. Um, that's not how God is dealing with it. And don't, don't think that you're gonna escape um, God dealing with our sins. So he's saying to them, really, hey, you need to be humble, um, not arrogant, not proud. Uh, God is going to deal with us one day when we stand before him, but this is not that time. Um, And so in this, we're going to see Jesus kind of surprisingly says to them, hey, you need to consider yourselves, otherwise you too will end up like them. Um, And so there's these three things. Jesus is, we're going to see, uh, we need to open our eyes. We need to open our ears, and we need to open our hearts. All right, number one, we need to open our eyes. For those of you who may be new to church, what happens here is we look at a passage, we, we, we look, uh, talk about it, and then we respond to it in communion in like 20 or so minutes. So open your eyes. The Jews believe in something called... Everyone's laughing because it's never been 20 minutes, just for the newbies. But it's Easter, I'm trying to preach short. Um, Jesus, uh, the Jews believe in something called *mida keneged mida*, which translates "measure for measure," and it's this idea that there's this—we we all live in a closed system where our actions come back to us. It's like this loop, and whatever you put into the system comes back to you. So, if you think of the Old Testament, um, there would be lots of stories. I'll give you one: Jacob. He's he, he has this brother named Esau. Esau is supposed to get the birthright, the inheritance, according to their custom and culture. Jacob dresses himself as a hairy man like Esau, and he, his father's blind, and he gets the inheritance and the blessing and the birthright. He deceives his father to get it. Um, and then later on, Jacob tries to marry a girl named Rachel and works seven years to earn the right to marry her. And then at, she's, she, the, the wedding ceremony happens, and the bride comes all covered up, and he marries her only to find out when she uncovers herself that it's her sister Leah and he has to work another seven years to get to Rachel. Um, The father deceived him. In other words, the Jews would see that as this measure for measure. There was a time in Jacob's life where he deceived his father, and so it's coming back to him that he would be deceived. The deceiver becomes deceived. It sounds a lot like karma, doesn't it? So when you see the world that way, you see there's kind of a cosmic loop of punishment. It's terrible. What you put in, you're going to get out. And so it becomes very much self-centered. It becomes about you and are you being good or are you being bad? Are you putting in positive or negative? And so even when you're putting something positive into this loop, you're normally only putting it in so that it comes around to to you as a positive. So it's still about you. Versus true goodness is really about other people, right? I, I just want to give you something or be a blessing to you or help you in some way because I love you. If a child only obeys its parents so that it gets something good from those parents that's not an expression of love it's an expression of want it's a type of manipulation for themselves and so that's actually a type of badness and so the the loop comes as a manipulation <laughs> back to yourself so it's a terrible idea and just to kind of say Jesus doesn't believe in this measure for measure he doesn't teach it at all Jesus is going to teach I'll just give you the end already Jesus is going to teach that you don't get what you deserve you get goodness and grace and mercy. So it's free, we're free to see and acknowledge who we really are. We don't have to hide ourselves. And so in this closed system, a person skips church on Sunday and then goes to the beach instead, and they get stung by a jellyfish and horribly sunburnt. And we think, well, that'll teach them. Next week they should come to church. Um, or my car broke down when I ignored the homeless lady outside of Woolworths. If I had just bought her something for lunch, the car would be fine. Do you see how this, any of you have any of this kind of thinking? It's this: we're not sure, but it's there, and it's this measure for measure. My actions come back in some way, shape, or form to me. Um, I'm stuck being single because of my past mistakes. It's a burden we can't bear. We have to be God in our own lives. So the fingerprint of God can't be found in these forms of suffering. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't forensically try and uh, impute God's hand on these forms of suffering. It's not there. Uh, we should never make someone suffering worse by suggesting God's caused it. So, this again is a kind of a focus on ourselves, and that's what we need to try and get away from. Um, and when we do this, what we ignore is the mercy of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God which we're in all the time, and which uh, Jesus highlights for us, I think. I'll show you now. And so Jesus says, unless we repent, we will likewise perish. So he's saying, you know, find the person deserving, most deserving of the suffering. Who can you think of in this world who's most deserving of suffering? Think about them. Think about why they're the most deserving of suffering. And then Jesus says, you're no better than them. In your heart of hearts, in your deepest parts, you're no different to them. Maybe, you've, maybe you haven't done as bad things on the outside, but in, in our hearts, uh, we're just as culpable, just as capable. So when I think so-and-so suffered because of their greed, I refuse to see that my heart is prone to trusting in the security of money just as much. I just lack opportunities. When I think that so-and-so suffered because of their immoral lifestyle, I refuse to see that my heart is the exact same disease of lust coursing through it. I think they're worse than I am. When I think that so-and-so suffered because they're full of hate and bitterness, I refuse to see that my heart is a warehouse of prejudices and preferences. When I think that so-and-so may have suffered because they are violent and wicked, I refuse to see that my heart has murdered brothers and sisters a thousand times with anger and unforgiveness. Maybe I haven't picked up a knife or a closed fist. But I have in my heart held things against people. When I think that so-and-so suffered because they selfishly devoted themselves to pleasure, I refuse to see that my heart eagerly desires to fill my life with comfort and ease. Jesus' point is that He wants us to open our eyes to the fact that we're w- worse than we think. That in our hearts, if we were to admit it, if we would allow ourselves to see inside, that, that we're no better than those we think uh, they get what they deserve. And then we might naturally come to this question, which is, how can a good God allow someone like me to live? If you haven't got to that question yet, then you, you, there's still some room... To inspect your heart to see what's really there because of guilt and shame we hide ourselves all the time in, we hide ourselves in society we hide ourselves in our families we always try and present ourselves as best but we never really go you know how are you going well i'll tell you how it's going just before you said hello to me i was just thinking what a douchebag you are <laughs> what you might hear is how are you going yeah good and i'm so glad to be having this coffee with you it's so fantastic my heart's going i cannot wait for it to be over we, we, we don't live that way, right? Again, I, f- I feel that I might just be exposing myself. Um, but we don't live that way. We don't, we don't allow ourselves to see our hearts that way. But really, if we did, if we had the freedom, if we knew we were, going to, we were going to be okay, if we could just admit what's really there, we would find that we're worse than we think. So how could a good God allow someone like me to live? The answer is Simple we're experiencing God's kindness. If God were to give us everything that we deserved, if God were to close the loop on our behavior and give us everything back to the degree, the degree that we felt it or thought it or desired it or wanted it, uh, how could He let us live? Because He's kind and He's patient and He's gracious. And He's busy working on our hearts. We need to open up our ears as well. So, there was a crowd of 3,000 people who had just seen, like weeks before that, they had just seen Jesus be crucified on the cross, and now there was this news that He was alive and He, had, uh, he has ascended. It was just confusing, was chaos, and 3,000 people were there, and Peter gets up and he preaches about why Jesus died on the cross, and he says to the crowd that they put Him there. Let me read you a snippet of it, um, because after he preaches, 3,000 of them get saved. 3,000 of them become followers of Jesus. Something dramatic happened when Peter was speaking to them. What did he say? Here's a snippet. He says, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. People listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nail them to the cross and killed him. This is, G- this is Peter preaching to the crowd. You killed him. None of them had picked up a hammer. None of them picked up a whip. None of them picked up a cross. You killed him. But God uh, released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. God raised Jesus from the dead, and, and we are all witnesses of this. Um, now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour up, up, out upon us just as you see and hear today. And they said to Peter, what do we do? What do we do in response? Here's the summary of what's going on. God has always had a plan to save people by reconciling them to himself. Jesus is God's endorsed people saver. Jesus saves people by suffering God's wrath against sin and dying in in a sinner's death. So that's, think of a courtroom. Someone goes in and pays the penalty of someone guilty. So there's no longer, that guilty person can no longer uh, be tried because the penalty has been paid. The fine's been paid or whatever. So Jesus has already done that on the cross for, for sinners. And we are the ones, our sins against God, that put Jesus on the cross. Then Jesus was raised to life, victorious over sin and death, and turns to the very people who killed him, and offers forgiveness and reconciliation. So, this is what we need to hear, is the good news. That Jesus is inviting us into a relationship with our Creator, with God. How did I put Him on the cross? How did you put Him on the cross? Well, when you and I were self-centered, when you and I tried to live without God, when you and I felt superior or inferior or discontent or lustful or angry or impatient, or when you and I coveted or lied or deceived or manipulated or sulked, you go, know, like, How's that? How has any of that got to do with God? I'll, 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 I'll show you just briefly. The re- why does someone steal? Someone steals because they want what they don't have. It means they're unsatisfied, they're unfulfilled which means there's no trust that God will give them everything that they need for this life, which means that they put themselves and their wants and their desires in, as more important than what God has for them. Right? And so these little things, which we all do, are bigger things because they all only exist because we're unsatisfied, unfulfilled, still have longings, still have desires, still have wants, still have cravings that need to be filled. So when you and I put the opinions of others above God, when we put our own philosophies or arguments or ideas in place of gods we put ourselves as first importance when we do these things we join the crowd and the crowd stood there and said crucify him," and we join them and we say crucifying crucify jesus put him away why would we want jesus crucified because before we get the good news we get this bad news that jesus is like repent or perish who wants to hear that who wants to have a friend that before they tell you about all the good news, they're like, hey man, you're in real strife. Hey man, and who wants a friend that can see all the way down into your heart? Hey man, you know that like anger you have towards... No, what are you talking about? Hey man, I, I know your heart as well as you do. Probably I know it better because I'm not trying to hide anything. Who wants a friend like that? Put them away, crucify them, get rid of them. Why? Because they see through me. They see into me. They see what I'm like. They see what I've done. I'm exposed. I'm not perfect. There's no one in this room who's perfect. Everyone in this room is lovely, but no one's perfect. But it's the way that Jesus was able to say, through His cross, He's able to say, and this is, uh, come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, come to me, find rest, and forgiveness, and reconciliation with your Father. Oftentimes, in our culture, secular people think that... uh, Religion wants something from them. People avoid religion or Christianity because uh, a lot of secular people have had terrible examples shown to them of what God is like, and they think that coming to God, uh, God wants something from them. What they don't understand is uh, coming to faith in Jesus is God offering us everything. He's offering us life, forgiveness, reconciliation. It's what God wants for us, not from us. Thirdly, we need to open our hearts. So, even while our lives shout, crucify Him, Jesus, is on, Jesus was on the cross and praying, Father, forgive them. So, when you turn to God for forgiveness, you're only joining Jesus' longing. You know, when you try and make peace with an enemy, and you have to beg... And you have to kind of, how low can you go? And you have to kind of, you know, I don't know, I don't know if you're like me. I'm, I'm a, uh, sometimes I'm terrible at forgiveness. And sometimes if someone says sorry quickly because they're not as terrible as I am and they, they, they're just not going to live with guilt and shame and they just want to say sorry, they're humble enough to do that. And I think, oh, I don't think you've felt it long enough. I don't think you're yet sorry enough. Just feel your shame a little longer. Anyone ever feel anything like that? Again, just me. I don't think I'm going to have a job after the Sunday. That's not what God is like at all. When we turn to God for forgiveness, when we see our need for Him and we turn to Him, we find in Him someone who's longing far more than us to give forgiveness. He's not going, well, I don't think you've lived with guilt and shame enough. I don't think you've gone down on your knees low enough. We'll find as we walk with him, we might go more and more to our knees. We might walk with him for for 10 years. And we go, oh my goodness, I'm so much worse than I thought I was. He goes, I know. You didn't need to know then. You can know that now. Oh God, how could you have uh, saved me? Look at what I was like. I know, but you didn't need to know then. You just needed to know my love. You just needed to know that I wanted to forgive. And we find in Jesus is a friend who longs far more than us for our forgiveness and reconciliation. So let's look into the fig tree one last time and we'll land it. So we look at this fig tree and the owner comes in and he finds a fig tree uh, that's fruitless, right? So the fig tree, Jesus tells parables as symbolic. This is this meal that we're going to have, this communion, that we're going to have together. It's symbolic of something, right? This is a terrible party if this is the actual thing. It's just, or as Chris would say, this is a wee party. Uh, This is a symbol of something much greater. Jesus tells parables as a picture of something else. What's the fig tree? What about some of the new high schoolers? What do you think it is? Ellen, your crew in the back there? I'll tell you if you don't want to have a go. The the fig tree is our lives. God comes into this garden, uh, God, uh, God is the owner of our lives. He comes into the garden. Let me just explain that quickly. God's the owner of our lives. What, what do you have that's given to you by yourself? Every, everything we have. Our biology, the oxygen we breathe, the skills we have, the talents we have, the beauty we have, the opportunities we have. Everything we have in life comes to us from God. There's nothing that we get ourselves. If I go work hard to make an income, to buy myself something I long for, I, what did I use to go, to go work hard? I used the skills and the talents. Where did I get them from? So God the owner comes into the garden and he sees a fruitless tree and he goes, okay, we're going to have to take it out of the garden. That's natural, right? That doesn't sound like, whoa, that's wrong. Jesus is painting a beautiful picture of justice. He's not going, the, the, uh, no one goes, that is insane. That useless fruit tree that never put, did what it was supposed to do, that took up the nutrients of the soil, what a bad owner to get rid of that and put something good in. No, you go like, yeah, that makes sense. It's a very gentle picture that Jesus is painting of justice. All right, there's no fruit. Let's, let's do something else. And then the gardener says, hold on, let me, let me dig around it. Let me put some manure in it. Let me, let me nurture it. And let me see if I can bring life to it. And then come back next year and let's see if there's some fruit. And, and what he, Jesus is the gardener. And Jesus, the, the Father and the Son are working together. He's trying to picture, remember, Jesus hasn't yet gone to the cross. He's on his way to the cross over here. And so he's telling them everything in parables that they'll be able to figure out once he's gone to the cross and they see it. God and Jesus are working together on a plan to bring fruit into our lives through their work. Notice it's not the tree that does anything. Notice the gardener doesn't say, look, I'll talk to the tree. I'll tell it to put a little more effort in. Notice it doesn't say, look, I'll talk to the tree. It's been a little dumb. It could put its roots a bit deeper down and and absorb some water. Notice the gardener says, I will do it. I will do the work. I will nurture it. I will massage it. I will put manure around it. I will dig around. Jesus is saying, I will do everything to bring fruit to this thing. Jesus is saying, just give us a time of grace and mercy and kindness and patience and let's see what we can do. That's what we're in that's what today is one day jesus is going to return to this world and jesus said you know uh, repent or perish one day we're going to find out that we're far worse than we thought and that day will be over the go- the owner of the garden will be back but we're in we're in pictorially in this in this picture of this just let's give it a year let's give it another time we're in that time we're in that per- that's what history is doing history is moving towards the return of christ this can't be what life is like. Suffering is not normal. Broken relationships are not normal. And Jesus promises that He's going to redeem and restore every pain and sorrow. But in the meantime, what's He doing? He's giving our hearts an opportunity to repent. To, to come into a reconciled relationship with God. What is repentance? When the crowd heard Uh, Peter talk about Jesus and the cross, they said, what shall we do? It says they were cut to the heart. When we're cut to the heart, we go, what shall we do? Peter goes, repent. What is repentance? There's two sides of repentance. Number one, it's seeing that you're worse than you thought. Do you believe that you deserve suffering and death? It's It's a difficult question. Even as I ask that, we live in Perth, 2022, secular culture, agnostic, maybe deistic, God can exist as long as He leaves us alone. How dare we ask a question like, do you believe that you deserve suffering and death? And yet Jesus puts this before us. He invites us. This is not a hard thing. Let me explain it for a moment. I've got four children. Now and then, they do something that's not right. (laughs) They do something wrong. If they refuse to see it because for some reason they're scared of the consequence or they want to avoid uh, getting in any sort of trouble and they just deny it, they won't allow themselves to see it. Can you see how that will become an obstruction to myself and them? Can you see as as I get down on my knees and I say, My dear child, I think it was you who threw that watermelon across the room at your mom behind her back. And they go, wasn't me. And I go, but there was no one else in this room. And they go, must have been an angel or a demon. And I say, I, it probably was, but I think I'm looking at that angel or demon. But can you see how as long as they refuse to allow themselves to look at their hearts and look at their, their lives, there's a conflict between us. But can you see that if they will allow themselves to see their worst and their think and go, I'm so sorry, Dad. It was totally me. I was angry in my heart. I picked it up. I threw it across the room. I'm so sorry. Can you see how immediately there can be peace and go, I understand It's okay. We forgive you. We love you. Let's work this out together. And so the invitation Jesus gives us to see that we're worse than we think is is not an invitation to beat us up. It's an invitation to release us from guilt and shame. Because while you deny that you're worse than you think, you have to still carry the guilt and the shame of you know. When you can let that go and go, actually... And that's partly why it's easy when I preach to say, well, maybe I'm just talking about myself. Because God's not pretending that I'm uh, innocent of everything. God's not confused. He knows my fathering needs help, my husbanding needs help, my pastoring of this church needs help. He knows there's idols in my heart and in my head. He knows that my behavior doesn't always uh, match up to my faith. And what do I get to do then? I either get to hide it or I get to go, this is who I am. This is who God loves. Dear God, help me. And the guilt and the shame gets removed, and we come into a relationship with God. And that's why Jesus invites us to see that we're worse than we think, so that we can respond and go, what shall we do? Because it's very easy. Yeah. Part two, see that God is more loving than you can imagine. Do you believe that Jesus suffered and died to give you forgiveness? And the two come together, that's what repentance is, the two coming together to turn away from all our guilt and shame, to turn away from all these things that we hide in our hearts and our heads, to turn away from all of them trying to be good enough, to try to get satisfied in things, to try to get fulfilled in things, to try to pursue things that promise that they'll give our lives meaning, and then they don't, and they disappoint us, and we feel crushed again, to turn away from that and turn to a loving Creator who says, I'll do everything and anything to bring peace to our relationship. But... Meet me there as I, as I land us and Josh gets ready to take us into communion. I'll give you one more picture. Jesus gives, tells the story of this, this son who, who runs away from home with all of his inheritance. He leaves home with his inheritance. And his life falls apart. He pursues everything that, that he thinks is going to give him pleasure and meaning and identity. He pursues it all. But none of it actually gives him that identity and meaning. And he ends up in a pigsty eating leftovers from the pigs. And that's Jesus' way of telling the story of like, because he's telling it to Jews, there could be nothing worse to a Jew than eating the scraps of what pigs didn't eat. That's like the lowest of the low. So what, what's the lowest of the low in our society? And, and maybe let's not say it in case it's offensive to someone else in this room. But whatever's the lowest of the low in our society, that's where, the, that's where they got to. And Jesus is basically saying, man, when you try and live without God, it's not going to go well. No matter what you pursue, it will never, ever be able to give you satisfi- uh, satisfaction, fulfillment, and meaning. It might last for a while, but it will never last for an eternity. And, and the son turns back and decides that he'd rather go be a, a servant in his father's house than uh, eating pigs' leftovers. And so he gets back, and the surprise to everyone. Because really, he should come in and he should be rejected because he's taken his inheritance and he's gone and, and wasted it, spent it. He's been the fruitless fig. He's trying to live without God. He Really, there should be some major consequence for him. The surprising thing in Jesus' story is this. The father is waiting for his son. He's eager. He's been longing for the day for his son to return. He's been standing on the hill every day. When will he come back? And when he sees him, his longing is fulfilled. And he runs to his son. And He holds His Son. He embraces Him. And He throws a feast. And everyone has a party. And He says, my Son has returned. What a shock. Christ died on the cross not to make you feel bad. He died on the cross so that you know that the Father is standing on a hill. And He is waiting for you to come back. Waiting for you to come home. So He can wrap His arms around you and say Everyone, all of heaven, the Bible says all of heaven celebrates. The angels celebrate and sing. When one person comes back to the Lord, the Father is so happy to have His sons and His daughters come back into a peace-filled relationship with Him. Reconciliation, sins forgiven on the cross. What do we have to do afterwards? Mark, this news is too good to be true. Surely then afterwards, like part two of the messages, and then you have to... Then you get to find out as you walk with Him as you become more like Him, and as He rubs off on you, and as you begin to love what He loves, which is very normal when you walk closely with someone that you love and that you look up to, it's very normal to start having them rub off on you a little bit, and you will be changed, and you will be transformed, never mind the work that the Holy Spirit does on us. It is grace that leads us back to God. Repent or perish.